This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. This morning I want to talk to you, if I can, out of the book of Romans 11 on the blindness of Israel. In the verse number 25 of chapter number 11, as Kim will find it, we're going to leave it up on the screen for you the whole time because I'm going to refer to this verse a few times. And It says in verse number, verse number 25 of chapter 11, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become. That last little phrase right there, that blindness in part is happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become. I was looking at that phrase the other day in the airport, and I was processing that phrase. And when you come to the book of Romans, chapter number 11, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are a little, a little niche in the book of Romans. They are this little cutout that Paul goes into in chapter number 1 and in chapter number 2, Paul deals with the ungodliness of this present age. And he says, the further we go, the worse it's going to get. Can I get an amen right there? Then he gets in chapter number 3 and chapter number 4 and in chapter number 5, he says, even in this present age, that there is a Savior who has justified us by one thing, and that is by faith. Then he gets into chapter number 6 and chapter number 7 and he basically talks about how that there is no other way to be saved other than putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It can't be done by the flesh because Paul says, man, I'm a great guy. But at the end of the day, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do those. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing those. Oh, wretched man, that I am. Then he gets over into chapter number 8. This is what he says. He says, I may be terrible, but I thank the good glad day that my salvation was not found in me, but it was found in Jesus Christ. And he starts chapter 8 off by saying this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And he got so happy talking about that, how that there was no way he could ever go to hell because of Jesus Christ. He gets to the end and he says, I just want to remind the devil what ain't taking me to hell. He said, there ain't no principality, there ain't no power, there ain't no ruler, there ain't no strength. There is no demon, there is no devil, there is no angel, there is no power, there is absolutely nothing that could ever happen that could ever separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. Man, he got to shouting and all of a sudden, this is what he says. He says, let me talk about Israel. And all of a sudden you say, wait a second, Paul, we were having Jubilee. And all of a sudden you want to shift to talking about the nation of Israel, the Jew. He gets into chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11 and he begins discussing something that evidently the Roman believers had argued about. They basically were arguing about the fact, all right, Paul, you are the apostle to the Gentile. 
Now, stop, time out. Let me just encourage some people in a few things. You do realize that there are only two races of people. There's not white, black, red, purple, green, blue. There's not Chinese, Indians, Africans, and Americans. There's only two races of people. There are the Jew and everybody else. There is the Jew which flow out. Don't get, now, don't y'all get nervous on me right now. I'm just telling you the truth. There is the Jew, that is the one that flow out of the, the, the womb of Abraham that came down through the loins of Jacob and his 12 sons. And then there's everybody else. That is called the Gentile. The promise of Messiah came through the... I don't know what book y'all been reading, but y'all act like I just rocked your world right there with that little phrase. That's just what the Bible teaches. There's Jew and there's everybody else. So if you think you're better because you're white and you're not black or you're black and you're not white, you realize the white man and the black man are both Gentiles and we're all just the same. And when we get in Jesus Christ, honey, we all get baptized in the same blood. We go down in the same name and we're headed to the same heaven. So you can back up or check up. It don't really matter to me because there's Jew and there's Gentile. And this is what Paul says to these Gentiles. He says, now look, we know that today in this dispensation and in this time, God is building a Gentile bride. And man, the Romans evidently got prideful about that thing. And Paul said, now wait a second. That does not mean that God is done with the Jew. And he says, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, he says, I promise you that God is going to fulfill every promise he made to the nation of Israel. He says, the problem right now with Israel is this, that now they are in part blinded. I was in Jerusalem the other day and the group left and I stayed an extra day. I'd been given the opportunity to, to, I'd been given an invitation to go and take a private tour inside of the Dome of the Rock. Muslims are the only ones that are allowed in there and I have a friend over there that is, that is a Muslim and, and I've tried to witness to him and I've tried to talk to him and so uh, Jawad the jeweler is his name and so I, I asked Jawad, I said, Jawad, would, you, would there ever be a way that I could get inside and go see the Dome of the Rock and the stone that's inside the Dome of the Rock where Abraham offered out so on and so forth. And so he says, let me make a few phone calls. And, and the next thing I know, I am in a taxi being driven a hundred miles an hour through the streets of Jerusalem and a soul that I know that's in Jerusalem, the whole crowd's already back landed in New Jersey and I'm, I'm going inside the Dome of the Rock, and I'll tell you about that experience a little bit later on. Uh, maybe God will give me liberty next week or something. And, and I, I get done with that, and I'm walking back to my hotel. It's about a 30, 35-minute walk, and it's a beautiful day. And, and I'm walking around, and I notice something. I've seen it before, but I've never paid attention. I've never paid attention to how many blind people are in Jerusalem. Everywhere I felt like I turned, I... I'd find somebody else with a walking stick and glasses on who couldn't see. Some people in the group, they pointed that out. They said, what's with all the blind people? I, I don't have any, I just, I've never noticed it. I looked it up and, 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 and Israel doesn't have any more, any less blind people than America has per capita. But yet God, be, he took my mind and he kept, he kept driving this blindness in my heart. 
I prayed in the hotel room. I went back to my hotel room. It was about 10.30. My flight didn't leave that night till 7. So I stayed from 10.30 to 7 in that hotel room. And I said, Lord, explain to me why I'm paying attention to these blind people. And through time, I got to thinking. The Holy Spirit began to bear witness. And this is exactly what God put in my heart. The reason you're paying attention to the blindness in Israel is that it's representative of my people. These blind people are in the city of promise. They're in the city of God, but yet they've never seen it. They're walking with holy sights, and they've never seen them. They're among where God's own son died, and they don't pay attention. He said, Tyler, that is my people today. Brothers and sisters, I remind you right now that the thing about a blind person that strikes me is they have everything they need to see. Yet because something's not working, they're blind. They've got the iris, they've got the lens, they've got the cornea, they've got the retina, they've got the optic nerve, they've got the section of their brain that that reads vision and discerns vision. But yet because their eye doesn't do what it's supposed to do, they cannot perceive what is. If you ever look up blindness, somebody that is truly, actually, completely, and totally blind, do you know what the problem is? It's the fact that their eye doesn't respond to light. That's what blindness is. It's the fact that their eyeball does not respond to light. Now, right now, the reason that you are seeing me and I am seeing you is because your eye... Don't worry, this is not an ophthalmologist class. I'm just explaining where I'm going. The reason you're able to see me and I'm able to see you is because your eye is dancing with that light. If we turned those lights out... There would be nothing for your eye to pay attention to. Therefore, the reason you're able to see is because you discern the light. Brothers and sisters, I'm not talking this morning about physical blindness. I'm talking this morning about spiritual blindness. It is the fact that these people are in the holy city of God and they're in the holy mountain of God and they're in Zion's hill and they're walking among these fantastic things and yet they've never one time paid attention to it. But I'm not worried about the people in Jerusalem this morning. I'm worried about the people that right now all over this countryside, all over this nation, all over this place, in this house right now, you are in the house of God and you're walking among holy things and you're living among holy things and the holy God of heaven is doing certain things in your life and because you are not rightly related to the light you're blind let me give you a couple things in verse number 25 about that blindness number one notice what Paul says it is a partial blindness watch what he says in verse 25 he says that blindness in part 
You see, not all of Israel was blind. In fact, those 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost, the majority of those people were Jews that were from the Scythians and they were from the Parthians and they were from Bithynia and they were from all the regions and they were the Jews that came in for the Feast of Pentecost. But yet that day that Paul is writing to that Roman church, many Jews had been blinded. Not all Jews, but many of the Jews. Now here's what's so amazing to me. They all had the same background. They all had the same scriptures. They all saw the same things. They all heard the same things. Yet some of them were able to discern it and some of them were not able. It's a partial blind. It's amazing to me. I can't explain this. I don't know how this is. I don't know why this is. I'm just telling you it's the way it is. People in this room, we're all sitting in the same place, in the same temperature, in the same kind of seating and we're all watching the same thing and we're all hearing the same thing and we're all examining the same thing but yet there are people in this room and their spiritual eyes are wide open and they can see what God's doing in their life. They can see what God's doing in their family. They can see what God's doing in this land. They can see what God's doing in your church. They can see what God's doing everywhere. But yet people that are in the same place, watching the same thing, experiencing the same situation, you're as blind as if you were not here. You're as blind as if it had never happened. Ladies and gentlemen, the thing about blindness in the spiritual realm is it's mostly partial. There are people in this room right now, you are so blessed you think you could pop. And then there are some people in this very room you are so bored that you are just about ready to walk out. What's the difference? One's like this, and the other ones are like this. Brothers and sisters, Paul said to those Jews, he said that blindness was partial. Then he goes on in number two. He says blindness is not only partial, but blindness is given. Watch what he says in verse 25. He says that blindness in part is happened to Israel. You see, Israel wasn't born blind. You see, the day when Abraham came out of the earth of the Chaldees, honey, he saw something on the horizon. He saw something out there, and it caused him to leave the place that he was at and to journey to a city whose builder and maker was God. Isaac saw something that said, I'm going to dig in the same wells that my daddy dug in. Jacob saw that ladder coming out of heaven where the angels were heading up and the angels were headed down. And he said, this right here is the place called Bethlehem. This is the house of God. It was Judah that said, I'll be a man of praise. It was David that said, I'll go out there and face the giant. It was Elijah that said, I'll call fire out of heaven. It was John the Baptist that said, I'll eat locusts and wild honey. But yet now those that were seeing are now blind. Brothers and sisters, you do understand man in our original state we saw God clearly. We could perceive God openly. But the calluses of sin darken our eyes. Brothers and sisters, this morning, some of you, how many of you this morning with an uplifted hand would say, I have a loved one that is not saved and I'm under a real burden for them to get saved. And how many of you have prayed God save them and God ain't done it? 
You know why? Because we're praying wrong. Here's why you got to start praying. Don't pray they'll get saved. Pray that God will open their eyes. Don't pray that God will birth them into the family of God. Pray that God will give them eyes to see what they really are and how they really operate. I'm going to tell you why. Because if a sinner ever sees how dirty they are and how messed up they are and they see how wonderful he is, they'll be like that jailer. They'll be like that man that bowed down and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If they see how messed up they are and they see how holy he is, they'll be like that centurion on the hillside and says, surely this was the son of the living God. If they see how messed up they are, oh God in heaven, and they see how sweet Jesus really is, they'll bow down like Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and they'll say, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Ladies and gentlemen, don't pray that people be saved. Pray that God takes the scales off of their eyes. I'm going to tell you, Liquor to me is disgusting. It is nasty. Fifteen years old, I had the one and only sip I've ever had in all my life. I thought I was drinking dog vomit. (laughs) Yet, what I see is one thing. There are people in this room right now who battle with the very temptation and you can't even drive past the bar. That spirit of, what is it? It's the difference between light and darkness. And the devil knows how to put the blind. And it may not be alcohol. Some of you, maybe any others, do you see what I'm saying? The scales get on your eyes. Brothers and sisters, you need to start realizing if God don't remove the scales... You can go to every seminar. You can go to every class. You can go to every prescription. You can go to every... But until God removes the blinders, you're wasting your time. But brothers, sisters, listen to me. The third thing Paul says in verse number 25, he says it's a partial blindness. Then he says it's a given blindness. Then he turns around and he says it's a curable blindness. Watch what he says in verse number 25, and I'm about to preach myself happy. Watch what he says. He says that blindness in part is happened unto Israel until, until, until the fullness of the until. He said right now they are blind, but they won't be blind forever because there's going to be a day that it's going to open up, and that day is going to be the day that we call the until moment. I know there are people right now, and you say, my family's messed up. You ain't going to stay messed up forever because they'll stay messed up as long as God stays off the scene. But the moment that God steps on the scene, that'll be when it happens. But until that time, you got to keep going. There's some people in this room right now. You need to hang on until. You need to keep going until. You need to keep walking until. You need to keep believing until. You need to keep praying until. You need to keep fasting until. You need to keep going until. You need to keep stepping until. You need to keep going until. You need to keep being faithful until. You need to keep being light until. You need to keep being salt until. You need to keep on believing until. You need to keep going fast until. It's not going to always be this way because when the good glad day that the God of heaven steps out of his world and steps into their world, that's when it'll happen. But until, you've got to get to until. Brothers and sisters, too many times we give up before until. I remind you right now, until will come. I remind you right now, until 
will happen. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to talk to you about something this morning. I don't know how far I'll actually get into this, but I just want to kindly dance around. I danced a little bit around it in 9 a.m., and I don't know how far I'll actually get into this, but let me just walk with you. It's amazing to me how blindness operates. It's not that they don't have what it takes. It's that something is overwhelming. Something is blocking. Something is camouflaging. Something is transpiring that is confusing the mechanisms of sight. Susie, I had an accident the other day. In my bathroom, my, my problem with my life is I have issues. Anybody else in their life have issues? Yeah, the ones that didn't raise their hands. I know what your issues are. That's your problem. My problem is everything has a place in my house. Everything has a place. My problem is I'm so used to the places that I put stuff, I don't think about it. Right beside my, right beside my sink and my bathroom is my toothbrush cup. And there's only one other thing that's allowed to go in my toothbrush cup, and that's my razor. The other day, somebody called me, and I was getting ready to brush my teeth, and I'm on the phone... And I reached down to grab what I thought was my toothbrush. And I grabbed that razor blade full bore. Honey, I cut my thumb clean off of my finger. I'm telling you. I mean, I was bleeding. I was screaming. I was going. I had my hand lifted up in there because, you know, you got to keep it above your heartbeat. Otherwise, you'll bleed out. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I got my hand up like this right here. I've got my undershirt. It's bleeding all over my undershirt. I run into the kitchen. And I'm, all I'm wanting is some sympathy. <laughs> Fellas, am I right about it? Don't sit there and look at me like a henpecked man that doesn't even have enough strength to crow on your own bedpost, okay? All I wanted was a little sympathy. I go in there and I say, Eric, I'm dying. Oh, God, I'm dying. She said, what happened? I said, hey, right now. I went to go grab my new blade, and I grabbed my red blade, and now my fingers are saying, oh, God. Do you know what that liberal Democrat said to me? She looked at me and said, didn't you see it? <laughs> and I'm standing there in my kitchen with my head, my arm raised up above my head bone, and I said, obviously not. <laughs> she said, why didn't you see it? I'm bleeding to death in my kitchen. <laughs> and she's got the audacity... You know, after I finally got to bleeding, it stopped two days later. <laughs> Listen, I was going to go to the emergency room. I couldn't drive. That's how bad it was. 
I couldn't even drive. I couldn't have cranked my car. You ever tried to crank your car when you can't use your right hand? Son, I'm a leaning over trying to buckle my seatbelt like this. I'm a reaching, reaching over the steering wheel and I'm bleeding to death, son. I mean, I look like a, like a contortionist. Here's my point. Here's my point. My point is, it's not that I couldn't see it. It's that something had distracted my ability to pay attention. Now y'all think I'm joking. Son, I mean, I cut my thumb clean off the top of my finger. All because something blinded me. There are people in this room right now that are walking. You've got everything you need to see, but there is something blinding you. And you are as blind, you, don't, you can't figure out why. You proverbially and spiritually stay, stay messed up and stay bloodied up and you cut things and you mess things up and you hurt things and you break things. There is a blindness inside of you. You say, but I don't know, I don't have any. And it's amazing. We have no reason to be blind, Pastor Tim, but we're blind. I'll give you three things right quickly. Number one, because I'm going to bleed to death up here on this platform right now. Number one, we are blind in spite of our privileges. I look at the nation of Israel and I think about the nation of Israel and I say to the nation of Israel, I said, Israel, you have everything you could possibly have ever needed. It was your lineage whereby Messiah came. It was your bloodline whereby Messiah came. You saw Goliath fall down. You saw the fire come out of heaven. You saw John the Baptist out there baptizing. You saw him walk on the water. You saw him multiply the bread. You saw him give the water. You saw him turn the water into wine. You saw all of that. You saw him rise up from the dead, but yet you were blind in spite of your privileges. What happens? Something that we perceive to be more important than what we have covers our ability to perceive. Can I tell you what one of my biggest problems really is? It's probably your biggest problem too. I'm a big baby. I'm a big giant baby. Let me talk to you about how big a baby I am. God's been good to me. God's blessed me. God's opened doors for me. God's touched my family. My little girl who was, who was a little earlier, if you came into the church and you saw a little girl money changing in the house of God selling chocolate bars and ripped some of y'all off of them chocolate bars, that was my little, little tan-headed bow-wearing girl. And I'm sorry, but she probably ripped some of y'all pretty good. And I do apologize that you're going to eat a chocolate bar that she probably got for 10 cents and you probably paid a dollar or $2. I do apologize. But you know that little tan bow-wearing little girl shouldn't be here. It was nine and a half years ago that she was born and nine and a half years ago she was in the hospital and nine and a half years ago the doctor told her, told me and her mama that she probably wouldn't make it through the night. It was nine and a half years ago I was driving down West Wendover Avenue at 1.30 in the morning when the Holy Ghost told me it was going to be okay that he would heal her body and she would be absolutely fine and yet that next day when I walked in I watched God heal that little girl and now she bebops around, got a mouth the size of a Volkswagen wagon. I mean, son, she just bebops around. I've seen the good grace and the power and the privilege of God, but yet there are times I still whine and moan. Do you know why? Because I stopped looking at the privilege 
because I'm not getting the privileges. It's because he's not always doing that that I stay so... How many of you parents work as hard as you can to give a good Christmas for your kids and grand... I do. Man, I love giving Christmas to my... I love giving. I love to see my kids light up. I love seeing Ella and Mason just go nuts. But nothing drives me as crazy as when I do everything. I'm talking, my house looks like Macy's puked on Christmas Day. Son, I mean gifts and bows and trucks and and dolls and and gadgets and gadgets and all these different things. And I mean, they open those presents and they throw those bows and they rip those boxes off. And I mean, just good, they go just plum ham in my house on Christmas. The next day after Christmas is pretty good, but about two days after Christmas, Mason and Ella will say, Daddy, can we go to the store? I look like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. I mean, my head just turns clean around on my shoulder sockets. What did you just say to me? You do realize all I just did for you two days ago. And now you want more? And I love looking at my kids. I'm going to tell you, some of you you parents need to get a backbone. One of the greatest words I ever learned. No. No. Daddy, can we go to the store? Uh, No. Daddy, will you buy me something? No. And you know what that little bow-headed thing does? And I look at her and I say, don't you realize what I did for you the other day and what it cost me? Brothers and sisters, we go so blind in regards to the way God's working in our lives because God's not moving the mountain today. All because God's not opening up the river today. All because God's not sent the glory out of heaven today. All of a sudden because God hadn't answered the prayer today. And we think God's mad at us. We think God's bowed up on us. We think God's off the throne. Why don't you look back at how God did answer and say, God, if you did answer back there, you really are God. And I may not have it all right now. I may not possess it all right now. But God, I refuse to be blind just because I'm not in the privilege right now. How many crybaby Christians are sitting in the house and the devil's got you so bowed up on God all because you're not walking in as big a privilege as you think you deserve. I'm going to tell you something. As a daddy, there is nothing that will drive a daddy crazy than when a child thinks they've done something to deserve the blessing. And there is nothing as insulting. I, I thank God my kids, are, I, I, my kids are not in that consistent. Mine are just like yours. They have those times. But I'm going to tell you something. Nothing is as insulting to the God of eternal glory when you and I as rotten, wretched, good-for-nothing, low-life sinners that ought to be broken in hell right now, frying like a piece of bacon, lift our eyes up to Him and bow ourselves up and cross our arms and say, God, you hadn't been as good to me as I deserve. If God gave you and I what we deserve right now, we'd already be burning for eternal. And ladies and gentlemen, I remind you, don't go blind. 
just because you're not walking in the privilege. Number two, I got to thinking about blindness. They were blind in spite of their problems. At the moment that the Apostle Paul writes chapter number 11, you're in roughly about the year 62 A.D. At the same moment that the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church at Rome, do you know what's happening back at Jerusalem? The ninth and the 10th legion of the Roman army had just marched into Jerusalem and they were getting ready to encircle the city in just a few months. In just a few months, they were going to encircle the city and they were going to starve out the residents. And do you know what the Jewish people inside the city walls would do? Instead of bowing their head and saying, God, have mercy on us, they were so blind that Jews in Jerusalem, city slickers, picked up a spear and thought they could take on the Romans. Do you know why somebody would do something like that? The Roman army, the greatest army up until that day, the Roman army better than the Greek army, better than the Babylonian army, better than the Assyrian army, better than the Median army, better than the Persian army, the greatest army that the world had ever seen up until that day. And Jews thought they could take up pitchforks and beat them. You know what will cause a man to do that? Blindness. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever get the sense in our land that we are being led by blind people? You look at the mess that our land is in right now, and I mean people are just dancing around as if there's not really a problem. I mean you look at the economic situation in our world right now and in our nation right now, and instead of somebody stepping back and saying, I wonder if the God of heaven would have mercy on us and would heal our land, it's as if our leaders are not only blind, but they are knowingly blind. You look at what's going on right now in Memphis. You look at the, 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 the stuff that's happening right now in Memphis. And instead of somebody standing up saying, Oh God, have mercy on our land. Bring us back together. You got politicians. Some of y'all are so uncomfortable right now. I'm telling you, I'm not nearly as uncomfortable as the politicians in Washington need to be. They're walking around. They're blind men and they're leading blind people. And instead of somebody stepping back and saying, God, I refuse to be blind even though everybody else is blind. I see the problems in our economy. I see the problems in our nation. I see the problems in our church. And church is just as bad as the nation. You got preachers and they look at their churches and their churches are dead. They're their churches are dying. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's getting help. Nobody's coming. Nobody's around. And instead of stepping back and saying, God, we've got problems and we need help, they stand up every Sunday and just go about business like it's just usual. You know what they are? They're blind. They're blind. And instead of somebody saying, God, help us, you know, I don't like to pat myself on the back, but men, sometimes you're the only one that will pat yourself on the back. Am I right about it? You all are just about as wimps, a big of wimps as I've ever seen the men in this church right now. I wish some men in this church would grow a backbone and say amen. How many of you fellas know you just want somebody to pat you on the back? Y'all notice my wife's not in here this morning. <laughs> oh, they're in Jerusalem. 
I was walking down the street and I'm walking down the street and there's these blind people and they're, they're using their sticks and they're filling out things in front of them so they don't bump in. And for some reason, the traffic in Jerusalem was unbelievable this time. And I mean, they were doing street construction. They were doing all types of stuff. And I'm just walking. I'd been inside the dome. I'm just walking back to the hotel. It was a beautiful weather, beautiful day outside. And I notice on this, this street corner right outside of the dung gate there in Jerusalem, I'm walking and there's a blind man that comes past me. And he gets right to the street crossing. And there were so many people, I guess he got confused with the stuff. He, and he's about to walk right out. Right out into traffic. Now, if you think traffic around here is bad, you ain't seen nothing. And you know, I had one job that day. Now, would he have stopped? He very well could have. But it was the job of the man who could see to reach out and to hold back the man that couldn't see. Brothers and sisters, too many times people in church act like the emus or the emus or whatever the word is. We act like the emus in the world. We take our head and we bury it down in the sand and just hope the world stops. Who are the people in your life that the scales are on their eyes? Who are the people in this room right now? You are absolutely blind to what God is doing in your life. You're absolutely blind to what God is doing in this land. You're absolutely blind to what's going on in this world. And all of a sudden, everybody is panicked all around you. Everybody's just destroyed all around you. And instead of being that steady hand that reaches out and takes somebody's shoulder and keeps them from going into oncoming traffic or into the problem or whatever, we just turn. You know, there's two ways to be blind. There's being blind because you can't see. And then there's being blind because you won't see. How many people in this house right now have got your back to problems? Because if I don't see it, it can't exist. If I don't pay attention... It ain't real. If I really don't think about that situation, it ain't going to get no worse. And then all of a sudden we turn right back around and we say, how did it get so bad? You know why? Because while blind people were walking, seeing people stopped seeing. There's a blindness that's upon the church of Jesus Christ. There's a blindness upon people that are here right now. There's a blindness upon people that are listening. And there's just blindness. You know there's only one way to see. I, I had not thought about this. You do realize that doctors can help hearing. Doctors can help taste. Doctors can help smell. Doctors can help legs. Doctors can help arms. Doctors can help backs. Doctors can help hearts. Doctors can help uh, spleens and doctors can help livers. But you know, when your eyes cross a certain threshold, there is nothing that a doctor can do. 
So right now, instead of people saying we need more programs and we need more this and we need more that, maybe we need to have some reconciliation talks and maybe we need to have some help. No, somebody needs to go to the blind man and say, I know a man that can fix your vision, but it ain't going to be what you think it's going to be. We're not headed to a doctor, but we're headed to the man that's going to spit in the mud and he's going to wipe it on your eyes and you're going to go down and wash in the pool of Siloam. We're going to go see the man that walks on water. We're going to go see the man that can calm the sea. We're going to go see the man that knows where you live. Brothers and sisters, somebody's got to go and get God. Somebody's got to say, I'm going to be the one that sees in my family. I'm going to be the dad that sees in my family. I mean, where are the men that have a backbone that say, as for me and for my house, we will serve the God of heaven. Where are the people in the church that say, you know what? I'm not going to let the deacons bear it by themselves. I'm not going to let the choir bear it by themselves. I'm not going to be blind to the world around me. I'm going to have a backbone and I'm going to stand and I'm going to keep both eyes wide open and I'm going to see. I landed in Newark, New Jersey and the Holy Spirit began to show me I didn't see any physically blind people but every person I passed it was as if the God of heaven started bearing witness in my soul. Blind man. Blind man. Blind man. Blind man. Brothers and sisters, I remind you right now, they may not have physical impairments, but they're blind spiritually. And may God have mercy on seeing people to help people that cannot see. 